0: supremacy sufficiency solidarity even in fancy script look at cody's on it today you're feeling good i love it colossians chapter 1 beginning in verse 15 this is the word of the lord it says he is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is God's word. Let's pray. And so, Father, as we turn our hearts and attention now to your word, we ask that your spirit would be present and powerful, shaping our lives and our hearts to see Jesus more clearly, that we might follow him more fully in life. And so may the words of Anthony's mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight, God, our strength and redeemer. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.
1: If I could have been at the wedding, uh, sorry. What a, what a turkey, this guy. <laughs> mm. All right. I'd like to begin this morning with a question, uh, and hopefully a question that we'll circle back to at the uh, end of, of my, my talk and the sermon. And it's this. And, and, and while I read it and while we think through it, let's really let it uh, settle in our minds and hearts. Because it's kind of why we're here. Is Jesus everything? Is he enough? And should we swear allegiance to him? That is kind of the question... Uh, today, and the question of of the age, and depending on on whom you ask, there are a lot of ideas swirling around that question. Comparative religion has a variety of thoughts and ideas, Um, popular podcasts also have their offerings, and then of course there's always Oprah to add her two cents. But if you read the book of Colossians, and you consider even what we just recently read, the resounding answer to that question from Colossians is is yes. You see, what John read for us this morning is perhaps, and maybe rivaled only by the section found in the book of Philippians, is the sweetest concentrate of Christ- Christocentric prose in all of the Bible. For me, personally, it is my favorite set of scriptures to define who Jesus is. And so, if anyone ever asks me, who is Jesus? It's the very first text that pops into my brain. It is uh, verses 15 through 20 of Colossians chapter 1 if you want to know who Jesus is, it kind of says it exquisitely. The book of Colossians really, and most beautifully, makes a big deal of the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And the book is really cool because it's not um, only an extraordinary piece of poetry, it's also a very Uh, practical bit of uh, text for us as well. You see, the letter to the Colossians is actually meant to be helpful for the church as well. It's meant to be helpful for them for uh, the present and uh, the future. If you know anything about the Colossian church, you'll know that they were a pretty healthy uh, church. Verses 3 through uh, 6 of chapter 1 actually explain that to us. Um, However, if you read the uh, rest of the book, if you get more context, you'll see that something dangerous was on the horizon, and perhaps it had already crept into their assembly. In fact, if you read chapter 2, specifically verse 8, it explains that the church was facing some sort of philosophy and that this philosophy had been fashioned by human tradition. It had been fashioned in human tradition. And this is uh, the problem, and it's a major problem, that if it is not Christ, this philosophy was going to actively undermine the gospel at work in the lives of the people there in Colossae. And so Paul being the sweet and vigilant shepherd that he is, he says, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to write a letter to my family in Colossae. I'm, I'm going to help my homies out by presenting uh, them not only a beautiful picture of Jesus, but how one ought to respond to him in the life to come. So uh, there's... There's a few things that we'll cover this morning, but if you wanted to summarize the book of Colossians, it could be summarized this way. It's a letter where Paul exposes some sort of empty teaching, he displays the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ, and then of course he enc- encourages believers to into deeper solidarity with him. And of course, chapter 4 is like a odds and ends, which we won't really get into this morning, Uh, but I'm looking forward to teaching Philemon, because it isn't without Colossians that we really can understand uh, the book of Philemon. So that's just a little bit of a a teaser to bring you back, (laughs) if that's helpful. Maybe the worst trailer ever, but um,
0: let's take that
1: philosophy, okay, the empty philosophy that was being presented Um, to this church within the culture around them. Historically, this philosophy has been called everything from Jewish mysticism to uh, the Colossian heresy. Um, I like both those titles, but the Colossian heresy kind of sounds uh, nefarious, doesn't it? Well, David E. Garland, he offers some helpful commentary around the latter idea, and really, he offers us some helpful thoughts concerning the entire conversation around what is this philosophy? How do we define it and determine it? It's a rather long uh, quote, but I think it's very helpful, so, so hang with me. He says, In the past, it was common to refer... Uh, to the problem as the Colossian heresy. That term is misleading because it anachronistically assumes that there were widely accepted criteria for judging orthodoxy in the time of Paul. It also assumes that the opponents are Christians who are corrupting the Colossian faith. Arnold uses the word syncretism to avoid prejudging the teaching as bad, heretical, or unorthodox. Paul, however, calls it a philosophy. Putting this term in quotation marks prevents us from understanding it as a logical system of truths and principles, and it allows us to apply to a religious way, um, and allows it to apply to a religious way of life. What this philosophy was, and how it threatened the congregation, has occupied scholars' attention for some time. And no consensus has been reached. To identify the philosophy, we have only meager snippets of a short but clearly polemical section. The problem is compounded because this section is the most unclear passage in the letter. Many interpreters look outside the text for some evidence in Paul's environment that will help stitch all the allusions in the letter together into a coherent pattern. It is like looking for a needle in a haystack, however. What is worse, the diverging conjectures reveal that scholars are looking in quite different haystacks for this magic needle. When one examines all the conflicting proposals by scholars who muster impressive primary evidence to buttress their arguments, the conflicting accounts resemble the story of blind men trying to describe an elephant when they are touching different parts of the animal. This does not mean that if we piece together all the different proposals, we will have our answer. The evidence is confusing and enigmatic. Now, what I've given you is a long uh, explanation of how nerds read the Bible. (laughs) Um, But also, if you really think about what was said in that uh, section, it's how a lot of people read the Bible. By pulling a bunch of ideas outside of even what is known. And of course, it's a very dangerous way to read the Bible. Because if you're reading the Bible uh, on subjective matters, you can make the Bible say just about anything you want. And that is probably the problem um, since the very beginning uh, of Scripture, uh, so it really is the problem of the very beginning uh, of, of creation with, uh, with, the, with the enemy. Did God really say, right? And then really kind of, you know, manipulating those words. Outside of how nerds read the Bible, this is also a very helpful um, research for us to help us stay out of the weeds when it comes to understanding what is this philosophy. I hope you already understand that I'm not going to even try to attempt to pin it down and tell you what it is today. Uh, What I'd like to do is see what we know from the text itself and what it teaches the Colossians then and what it will teach us today. Douglas Moo, uh, in his commentary, he um, offers these ideas as um, um, a, a succinct list to help us consider what What this philosophy is. It's another long list. Uh, Hang with me. Number one, it says, it is a hollow and deceptive philosophy. Number two, it is dependent on human tradition. There's all the verses attached to them, you see. It is dependent on elemental spiritual forces of this world. It is not uh, dependent on Christ, it involves dietary restrictions, it involves the practice of Jewish holidays, you can see why they called it maybe Jewish mysticism as well, it involves aesthetic uh, disciplines, it involves angelic beings, it involves visions, and here's the thing, it results in pride, it results in losing connection with Christ, and it involves a number of rules as a means of Of spiritual growth. In other words, it is um, really, uh, when you boil it all down, it is um, in a very subtle way antagonistic to the gospel at work, the gospel declared in the gospel at work in the lives of the Christians in Colossae. But what I find very fascinating about the list, that apart from number three and number four, it's a seemingly benign list. And, and, and here's, here's what I mean. Like, dietary restrictions, um, some aesthetic disciplines, uh, an emphasis on angels and, and visions seem, is seemingly uh, benign. But really, the problem was that uh, these seemingly benign things had become ultimate things for the Christian's Or were threatening some of the Christians in Colossae. And and that's kind of uh, the old and new religion of the world. To quote um, Timothy Keller, it's the old problem of when good things become ultimate things, right? And Paul, he was trying to head off this problem. And if it was within the church, he was trying to deal with it in their midst. And it was basically this don't let anything rise above the name of Jesus Christ. Don't let anything take supremacy. Don't don't treat anything more sufficient than what has already been received from Jesus Christ. And we know when good things become ultimate things, they become deep problems. Or in other words, when a Christian is not rooted and centered on Christ, they become obsessed and they seek um, satisfaction in something or someone else. For example, and I'll just take a couple out of the list, Um, I mentioned dietary restrictions. Have you ever encountered the Christian who is now obsessed with the next fad around food? Have you you met uh, the keto evangelist? (laughs) It's like, hey, keto will change your life, my friend, right? If you just do keto, you will see the promised land well well, maybe um, perhaps you have run into the intermittent faster faster, you know uh, John, are you still doing that? you're in the, you're in the middle of that? yeah, yeah. Uh, don't worry Jesus John is still telling me more about Jesus than he is about intermittent fasting, so I'll throw that in there. I'll throw you a bone. How about that um, my, I, I, I'm a, I'm a gluten-only guy. I'm a gluten-only kind of guy, okay? Uh, yeah, only. Oh, okay. Does it have gluten? Because, you know, i got to have it, you know. Um, uh, but you know, you know what I mean. It's like these things are fine in and of themselves. It just ha- it's just a problem when they become the end-all, be-all to life. And that evangelist comes to you, and they're just like, your whole life needs to revolve now around um, dietary restrictions, right? Um, And then, of course, there's a a whole battery of aesthetic disciplines that people want to implement into life. Um, I kind of have a a silly one. It's a phrase that I've heard a long time ago, and perhaps you're familiar, but, you know, aesthetic disciplines. Don't drink, don't chew, and don't go with any girls who do, right? (laughs) Um, You know, Again, uh, you know I, as i, I 'm I'm, I'm editing myself for right now see growth your your uh, young pastors i 'll throw myself in that lump myself in with John there um, are your young pastors are uh, demonstrating uh, wisdom and growth uh, before your very eyes. You should be so proud of us <laughs> but but uh you see how easy it is again to take something that um, c- should be enjoyed, and it can become the end all be all of all of holiness in life you know i 'm not a hater to any of these things, and you know i 'm sure you have your own ideas and lists around where we could go with with just what paul 's presented to the Colossians, but all jokes aside i 'm not a hater. Um, a lot of these things they 're helpful, but in terms of the kingdom of God mm-hmm. And in terms of life and in, 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 in true peace that, that only really the gospel provides, they can be helpful things, but ultimately, if they become ultimate things, they become hollow. These helpful things become hollow things. And again, I, we joke about it, but I know some people who are obsessed with these particularities that become uh, preeminent and and supreme within their lives. And it breaks my heart, because I I say, Jesus is so much better. And that's that's basically, if you're wondering what Paul is getting after in the book of Colossians, it's just that, that Jesus is is better. He's he's ultimate. He's supreme. He's sufficient. he, He truly is the key to a satisfied life. And so, we could read Colossians and we could spend all day trying to figure out what the philosophy was, right? Who's who's on team Colossian heresy? Who's on team of Jewish mysticism? But we'd be missing the point. Because what Paul wants the people of God to see is Jesus and all his glory and splendor. And I'd like to read that particular section that John read for you. Again, and you know me, I love reading... Um, Eugene Peterson's message by rendering, so I'm going to do that for you guys uh, again. But, I, but I, I, what I would invite you into in this moment is just as quietly, as focused as possible, fix your eyes on to the person and work of Jesus. Be drawn into How truly extraordinary he is. Eugene Peterson says, we look at this sun and see the God who cannot be seen. Just, I mean, it's like a mic drop. You have to just stop there. But we look at this sun and see God's original purpose in every created thing, in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade, he is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering, towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that is poured down from the cross. That is who Jesus is. As Calvin comments, it is in Christ God shows us his righteousness, goodness, wisdom, power. In short, his entire self. It is Jesus who shows us the Father's intention for humanity. You want to know what God's ideal human is? Jesus. There are a lot of great examples of humanity, but they pale in comparison to the Son of God. He is the one who keeps the cosmos from careening out of control and descending into chaos. Do you realize Jesus holds all this together right here, right now? The fact that we have our breath in our lungs is because of his gift to us, whether we know it or not. And Paul, he will reiterate this theme because in chapter 2, verse 9, he says, For it is in him the whole fullness of, dwell, of, of, of deity dwells bodily. In him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Some would actually argue that Jesus is not God, and it's not saying and it is not saying that Jesus is God in terms of the text. Well, they're not reading the text. I don't want to get into that, but they're not reading the text. It is this Jesus. The book of Colossians calls us to see the Christ who creates and commands the cosmos and one day will return to recreate it, the Christ who died for a people on a cross and now dwells within them his new temple, that's all that is encompassed in this short section of scripture. It's truly beautiful. I mean, sometimes, I mean, a little little tidbit on me, I'm colorblind, so I can't see certain colors. And Beth often looks out the window and she says, look at that that, that sunset. And I say, it looks awesome, yeah. But she says, there's colors here and colors there. And I say, it just looks like one big color uh, to me. But even the most beautiful things that we can see daily in in creation, they pale in comparison to the creator. But what a beautiful painting from Jesus. My friends, everything that is good, Jesus has given it to us. Everything. From majestic mountains, which I have a better uh, understanding of, But I do struggle with the colors still there. That's probably like why I love Montana and Austria with those incredible (laughs) mountains. Everything that's good He's given to us—mountains and the belly laughs of babies. Jesus has given us those. I I have a gif because you know we're modern, but look at that—that is what Jesus has given us. I mean, just, oh, I mean, I could sit here all day and enjoy that, right? And imagine if we had the audio for that. And that little guy just chuckling himself off his us, right? Hmm. But that's all, when I was reading this, that's the thing that popped into my mind. That God has given us the pure, uh, unadulterated, innocent laughter of children. That's a gift from God. He's going to, he's, he's everything and he's given us everything good, but he doesn't stop there. Jesus doesn't stop there. All that has been broken and lost in paradise, Jesus will restore it and fix it as well. And for a man who, who longs for restoration, who longs to receive what has been lost, this means everything to me. In Christ. We have been reconciled to God. And Colossians specifically says that Jesus is the source of a satisfied life. That Jesus is. Jesus is. And we have to let that sink deep into our hearts um, when the philosophies of the days are swirling in, around us. When And again, I'm not a hater on... Podcasts, not a hater on on a, on a diets. I'm not a hater on the, the the good things that life gives us. I'm not a hater around any of those things, but they just can't be supreme. They can't be supreme things. They can't be the loudest voices, because they will ultimately lead us to a dissatisfied life. And that's why we have to ask: Is Jesus? Truly everything? Is he truly enough? If that's true, a whole new world, a whole new life opens up to us. Things that were once impossible for us, they now become possible. Like really, truly loving our fellow humanity. Really, truly forgiving the way we've been forgiven. God. And then, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And I could tr- attempt to tell you what those things are, but Paul, again, he covers it. He covers it in chapter 3, and he, and he begins in verse 1. He talks about a life that is going to explode with gratitude as it sees Christ as supreme. It says this. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. We've kind of touched on that, right? On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one one another, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing, uh, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness uh, in God, uh, in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, seeing Jesus in the supreme fashion actually it helps us change our garments. Our garment of death and corruption to a garment of life and goodness and kind of the centerpiece of forgiveness there. I love, I love what Paul is trying to get us to really understand here because he's saying, listen, brothers and sisters, listen, church, if we are heavenly-minded people, we will be so good to this earth. If we are heavenly-minded people, we will be so good to this earth. Meaning, we'll be like the, the most rich nutrients to the soil of humanity if we understand how supreme Jesus is in our life. You know, and, and, and maybe you, when I said that sentence, you heard uh, how it, that idea has often been um, used. In in a in a cynical way, um, it's been used that those who are so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. Have you heard that? But listen, if, P, if Christians are not good to the earth, good to the fellow, good to the fellow man, fellow man, it is not heaven they're looking to. You see, we must see Jesus. We must see how Jesus entered into, how he made the world, how he he entered into it, and how he redeemed it. We have to see how he did that, because that is what's compelling to actual change in life. And that is what Paul to the Colossians just very beautifully and simply, I might add, displays to us. I was talking to my buddy from Germany, this week. And I was, I was telling him, he called me up and I picked up the phone and he asked what I was doing. I, was, I told him I'm in the middle of writing a sermon. And I told him I'm kind of stuck. I don't know what to, to really write. And he said, well, just tell them that Jesus died for their sins. And I said, hey, that's not a bad idea. You know, that is, that is profound. <laughs> but, isn't, but isn't it interesting? I think we're so... We're so affluent in this society, we get bored so quickly. And that includes in our gatherings in church. That it has to be um, so much that I don't th- know or think was ever intended by, by Christ and his apostles and, and all the beautiful people who went before us. I, I really think that still, at the end of the day, it really should be about just... Propping up Christ as much as we can and letting him shine as the jewel that he already is. I'll tell you what, um, the Bible says that his, the, the riches of Christ are unsearchable. Meaning, we'll never get to the end of the beauty and the richness of Christ. And I don't care if you say, I got my whole system systematic theology and it tells me everything I need to know about in my Christology. Well, you need to start with a whole new section of Christology and get another uh, beautiful piece of the prism that is Jesus. And you'll be like the Bible nerds I was reading about earlier. You'll just be holding a piece of, of who Christ is. And that's a journey. I think, I believe that is the journey of being a Christian, is just continuing to be blown away by the person and work of, of Christ. So, Jesus is proclaimed as supreme and sufficient. Let me offer you uh, a closing quote and a closing thought, and then we'll, we'll be done. I'd like to um, quote again David E. Garland, who you know, I've got to give him a bit of a shout out because his, his commentary was super helpful and really refreshing for me this week, and that's my prayer is that I, I would just renew my infatuation with Jesus. That's my prayer. So if, you're, if you pray for me, if you don't pray for me, shame on you. Um, no, I'm just joking. Um, but if you pray for me, pray for, that's what I'm seeking prayer for. Just a renewed infatuation with Jesus. That's, that's, I just want to see more. I want to see more of those riches I have not seen. So this is what, this is what David E. Garland says. Shout out to David E. Garland. Um, when Christians do not live with a deep sense of gratitude for what God has done for them in Christ, they will become engulfed in anxieties and will be tempted to look for security in something other than Christ. And I, sadly, I have been that person. I know those people. Paul repeatedly urged the Colossians to be thankful for the victory already won for them in Christ's cross and resurrection. Salvation can be found in Christ, and Christians do not need something else or something more. The cross brings redemption, the forgiveness of sin, and triumph over all the powers that would oppress human life. Every believer is made complete when placed under the complete claim of Christ. And all the spiritual ills of our world find their only cure in him. You see, Jesus is inviting us to be our cure, our, our, the, the breath in our lungs, the motivation for our life. Why we tick, Jesus is inviting us to put all of that under him. Jesus is really, he's, he's saying, this is who I am, I'm inviting you to solidarity, uh, unity, even a, a rhythm with him. One of my favorite parts of that Christ hymn in chapter one is that it says that Jesus is the head of the church. And so when we pray, we ask, when your elders gather, we ask for Jesus to show us what union should be doing. Not a book with helpful church growth ideas. Not a hater, not a hater. Um, a little bit, right? A little bit, maybe a little bit, a little heat on there, like a, maybe a slider, maybe a spitter right there. Um, but not too much hate. Just, just Jesus is going to, Jesus has gotten me and, and us this far. I, I want to I see where he, where he takes us. But he's inviting us to solidarity, unity, rhythm, there's another picture I, 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 that popped into my head when I was when I was thinking through my sermon. One was the the, the belly laugh of a baby. I mean, that's pretty good, right? I mean, I've gotta admit that was pretty good. That baby, not not my idea. Um, <laughs> but I was thinking, God is inviting us to a rhythm with him. To to look at the Sermon on the Mount to see this Christ hymn, to look at the other beautiful hymn of Christ in Philippians and some of these really beautiful sections, just see him and let him uh, lead us. But he's inviting us into a, a rhythm with him where he's the head and, and, and wherever he turns we as the body, we go. We just go. We don't tell him well, this doesn't fit in my my, uh, my paradigm, it doesn't fit into my, my, my ideas and you know, whatever my preconceived notions are, we don't, we, don't, we don't say, Jesus, you have to consider these things. No, we say, this is who you are. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you. But he's inviting us into rhythm. And, and again, this, this idea of rhythm and, and just being in harmony with Christ has really captured my mind, and, and, um, and, I, and, and it reminded me of a, of a concert that, uh, that I was at last week with John and Karen and, and Beth, uh, my, my wife, uh, we went to a Krongbin concert. And you're probably wondering, who's Krongbin? Well, they're, uh, they, refer- they became prominent as a, as a Thai funk band, and uh, they're really influenced by a lot of uh, world music. But they're really good. Uh, I highly recommend you check them out. Throw them on a Spotify playlist. Maybe we'll put them on in the next uh, church playlist, because I, I make those playlists. I really am proud of them. Um, but uh, the Krongbin concert was, was really wonderful, but it was also hilarious. Because the opener for Krongbin was this African um, world music. They were the openers, right? These, th- these two African guys and a, and a white dude on bass who really had a groove. Um, that was pretty cool. But it, but, but, so they're playing this African world music, which is... I think we're not very familiar with as as Americans. They're jamming out, they're grooving, and and the best thing, one of the best parts of my experience at this concert was watching a bunch of white people try to get in rhythm with this African uh, group. I mean, mean, this is what it reminded me of. Uh, Yeah, so I felt like Jerry watching Elaine that, I was like, "Oh, it's it's bad, it's bad," but all jokes aside, this is—I I really think this is what the church looks like when we are not in rhythm with Christ, in harmony with Him. It's—I mean, I mean the—let's just be honest. Like the the there's a lot of talking heads and there's a lot of attack on the church, and let's be honest, some of it. Is, is justified, justified criticism. But I always try to just tell people, hey, that may be Jesus' church, we're a hot mess, but that is not my Jesus. That is not who Christ is. And that is, that is what Paul is trying to show us in Scripture time and time again. He's saying being a Christian is really about Christ and letting his life not only, not only influence but take over it so that we become uh, transformed, renewed in him, in him. And so, Colossians, again, asks us, if we're going to let Christ govern our life, that's what it asks. Is Jesus everything? Is Jesus enough? This is the most important question one will ever ask in their life. And so I'll leave you with that and then kind of you know, roll into three for all of us today and uh, apply them as necessary. One. Um, one first question is, perhaps I have invited Jesus into my life, but have I surrendered to him? I've invited Jesus into my life, but have I surrendered to him? Number two, Am I elevating philosophy and the philosophies of this life to unhealthy places? Even good things. Are good things becoming the greatest things? And then three, just circling back to the original idea of the text. Is Jesus everything? And is he truly enough? Is he everything and is he enough? Let's pray. Oh, dear Jesus, we... We thank you for who you are. Because if we can, we can get out of the way as best as we can, and we can, we can focus on your word, we can see um, your beauty in every single page. But especially on, on days like this where we get to see it so plain and so obvious. We thank you for that. Jesus, we thank you that we get to see you and then we understand your invitation and what a, what a loving, kind king you are. You show us who you are, and you welcome us in, and you let us make make a, a decision of whether or not we will follow you. God, as your church, we we proclaim today that you are, you are supreme over everything. You are sufficient. You've given us everything. And the gospel. And we celebrate that today. And we and we place all of our hope within it. And in Jesus, we do we we swear solidarity. We swear allegiance to you today. Um, and we know we do not do this out of fear. We do this from a place of love and gratitude. And so, God, we give you all the glory. And we pray out these things in Jesus' name. Amen.